Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, part three of our four-part conversation with author, publisher, historian, artist, and educational consultant, director of the ASA Restoration Project, and founder and director of IKG Cultural Resource Center, cultural memory specialist, Mr. Anthony T. Browder. I am Maggie B. Nowen, and this is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast with your host, Ramses Ja. You know, I, I think that this, uh, you're making... Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are in support of educating our youth and you're making as good a case as anyone I've ever seen. Um, and and I, I realized this is why I kind of went into my own experience humbly, knowing that there are a lot of things that I've learned um, that may not be true. Right. They may, like you said, be feel good, you know, things. And this is why I was like, you know, you know better than me, of course. Um but of course, that thirst for knowledge, that that thirst for just the basic understanding that there may be something else to the story that was profound. Uh, and again, something that I found very early on, um, just kind of, you know, coming across your your conversations with, you know, Rock Newman and, you know, just the, the many the many works that you've done and that were available to me online. Um, so that brings me to, you know, a point that you were making earlier about what we're doing about our youth. So I definitely want to get your thoughts. You know, um, I believe it was stated by DeSantis and the, uh, the governing educational body in Florida that, um, the AP African, African American studies class lacked significant educational value. I believe that's exactly what they said. Um, I want to get your thoughts on why African and African American education is important uh, and why you think there's such a push um, back when we're trying to educate ourselves, when there's not as profound of an attack on Holocaust education or, you know, the eradication of indigenous tribes, it's whitewashed stories, but it's not completely, you know, gone from the curriculum. I, as an educator and as a person with, with such, you know, um, 
monumental insight. I want to get your thoughts. Well, I, I would say let's go to the words of Dr. Carter G. Woodson, mm -hmm. who wrote the book on this process of miseducation. As a matter of fact, that book um, is 90 years old now. Uh, the book is entitled The Miseducation of the Negro. And the whole purpose behind miseducation is, to paraphrase Woodson, if you control a person's thinking through the process of miseducation, you don't have to worry about their actions. You don't have to worry about what they do. If you control a person's thinking through miseducation, you won't have to tell that person to stand here or to go there because they will find their proper place and they will stay in it. A person who has been miseducated will not have to be ordered to go to the back door of any society because they will find their proper, if there is no back door, they will create one for their special purposes. That's the pur purpose of education, to instill in the mind of people a sense of superiority or inferiority. And when it comes to people of African uh, descent here in America, people who were forcefully dragged from their homeland in chains and enslaved for over 250 years in this country, and then subjected to uh, Jim Crow segregation and lynching for almost 100 years, and then went through 13 years of a civil rights movement before they were given the basic rights, uh, freedom, justice, and equality. And then once that legislation was introduced in the 1960s and Blacks integrated into American society, that integration, as Dr. King uh, correctly theorized, that integration was the integration into a burning house. And as a consequence, people of African descent today in 2023 are in worse shape educationally than we've been in the last 100 years. Because we no longer have those black schools that I was telling you that I had grown up in, where there were teachers who looked like me, who had a vested interest in making sure that I understood the value of education and that I learned to read, to write, and to reason. That's not happening in school systems anymore. If you talk to any educator or any administrator, they would tell you that schools now have been preoccupied with teaching to the test. So there's certain core information that they are mandated by law to make sure that a significant number of teachers within their classroom, within their school or their district must pass uh, a test in order for them to continue to get funding from the state or the federal government. So there's no education going on anymore. It's preparing students to remember certain lessons so that they can pass a test so the school districts can get money to continue the process of miseducation. That's what's been happening. And it's happening now on steroids. And, and, and so as a consequence, um, people like DeSantos and other right-wing Republicans are fearful of the type of information that my colleagues and I have dedicated our lives to researching, documenting, and making accessible to school systems because they know that this information runs contrary to the acceptable narrative. Mm -hmm. And if you recall last year, as this debate was going on in school districts throughout the country, particularly in the South, one of their justifications 
for limiting this so-called African-centered information is because it would make the white students in the classroom feel bad. Yeah. They didn't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. So essentially what that says is they don't give a damn about how black and brown people feel in the classrooms, uh, learning that Christopher Columbus discovered America, learning that uh, slavery was referred to by some folk as involuntary servitude, yeah. right? So they don't care about our feelings. That's clear. That's obvious. And given that reality, then what should we care about? Hmm? How should we care about that? And, and so my position has always been to look after our family first. Mm-hmm. So if, if you are not actively involved in going to the school board meetings in your community, uh, if you're not actively involved in holding schools accountable to ensure that your tax dollars are used to make sure that in your child's classroom, there's information that uplifts the, the, the psyche of your child and makes them feel good about themselves. And the school is more than just feeling good, but when, when a black child is in a classroom and hears about uh, the fact that Africans had traveled to the Americas 2,500 years before Christopher Columbus was born, mm. and they see the physical evidence of the 20 some odd uh, statues in Mexico of the people who were classified as the Omics, who brought technology, who brought architecture, who brought engineering, who brought a knowledge of, uh, of theology and the calendar to the indigenous Americans and see how the indigenous Americans acknowledge their presence. That's Those, those are real historical facts that everybody needs to know, not just black children or, or brown children, but everybody in every classroom needs to know this information. And they need to know this information, not just during February, Black History Month. This is world history. Okay, so one of the things that I've been concerned about is raising the awareness of young people like you and elders like me so that we can become responsible advocates for our children and for those who have yet to be born so that we can insist that our tax dollars be used to educate everybody in the classroom so that they can have a different uh, understanding of themselves and their potential. And, and, And trust me, brother, none of this information has anything to do with making white folk feel bad. bad. I know. It's about telling and teaching historical truths and teaching uh, the young folk in the classroom how to be objective in internalizing that truth. Yeah. Right. And how they can use those truths to empower themselves and assume responsibility for making sure that this nation lives up to his creed that all people are created equal and all people have a right to freedom, justice, and equality. That's what's at stake. So helping students become good civil servants, right? Responsible citizens of society is really what this, 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 this movement, if you will, is all about. Mm-hmm. And that only happens when you know the truth and you can bind yourself to that truth, which is such a transformative entity. You know, there's um, something I was going to say. I I came across recently um, a meme on, you know, my social media feed, and it was a photo of David Banner, uh, Mm -hmm. who's an an MC. Okay, you're familiar. Um, 
and David Banner was, it was like a, a, like an artistic photograph, you know, an aesthetic photograph of him just kind of with that powerful frame of his, and he was reading a book and it was one of your books, right? Um, beautiful photograph, very powerful image. And, uh, you know, as you were speaking right now, it brought me the thought and I, I, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I believe that, um, there was a group of people, maybe you were involved, maybe not, but they were trying to get your book, um, in involved to a degree or, or something like that in, in some sort of curriculum, right. For students to be able to read. And there was some pushback against that. So, um, before we get too far uh, from this point in the conversation, I would love for you to help us circumvent those traditional avenues and uh, educate our children by ourselves. So please plug, you know, any any books, anything like that that you've written that you feel like we need to know right now. We're, we're certainly going to circle back, but I'd love to make sure that we touch on that while we're here. Sure. Um, the picture that you're talking about is uh, is this picture. That's it. That's uh, it. Banner. Uh, reading uh, The Browder File. And about, oh gosh, I guess about eight or nine years ago, I received a call from, from David. Uh, called me up out the blue and and just said how much reading that book as a teenager. I think he was a sophomore in high school. How much reading that book changed his life. He said it was the first book he ever read from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. I think he said he was a sophomore in high school, uh, going to high school in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so he has made it a point to to buy cases of that book to give to sophomore students in his former high school so that some of these students could have the same transformative um, experience that he had upon reading that book. So Banner is is, is a dear friend. Banner is a brother who uh, understood how people in his his line of work have been socialized to focus on and expand the worst of African people, uh, the criminality, uh, the, the abuse of women. And once he learned something about who he was as a per- person of African descent, he shifted. He said, I can't do that anymore. And, and so what we're looking at is creating um, a, a movement among people whose consciousness has been awakened and I don't particularly like the term woke because, uh, you know, uh, anyway. So <clears throat> what we have been doing is, uh, through IKG specifically, uh, writing books, publishing books, disseminating books, uh, so that people can study on their own uh, and begin to understand uh, the real history that is associated with them. And then to show them how to use this information to advocate for uh, the children in your household, the children in your community. Mm-hmm. So I'm a firm believer of the fact that education begins at home. Yes. And more specifically, education begins in the womb. Mm. Education begins in the womb. And that if you have uh, more video games and more televisions in your home than you have books, there's going to be problems in your household. If you spend more time playing video games, watching television, than you do reading, there's going to be problems in your communities and in the classrooms in your communities. So uh, I'm an advocate of working within and uh, outside of the system and that knowledge, specifically knowledge of self, is the best is the best means by which a people can know who they are and live up to their potential and change how they move through what is still a racist and self-destructive society. 
And if we want to save ourselves, we're going to have to assume responsibility for saving ourselves because nobody else would do it. Uh, our so-called belief system, the God of our belief system is not going to save us. Mm -hmm. uh, if that were true, then we probably would not have been enslaved in the very, in the first place. We wouldn't have been lynched in the first place. That's a whole nother subject matter. Uh, but the reality is um, politicians are not going to save us. Any civil rights legislation can be undone, just like the Supreme Court is in the process of undoing some um, important um, educational rulings that have stood for several decades. So we see the rug is being pulled out from under black folk right now. Um, as I mentioned, I'm 71 years old, and uh, this racial climate that, that we've been experiencing here in America, particularly over the past seven years, has been the worst I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And I've seen some pretty horrific things. Um, and so something is coming. And if you don't know what's coming, if you don't know how to prepare for what's coming, you'll be like the victims of Katrina who didn't have the resources to get out and you'll be standing on top of a roof with a sign that says, help me, but there'll be no one to come to your assistance. So history can teach us uh, cycles of the past, how those same cycles are manifesting themselves today. And those people who are good stewards of history can then use that knowledge to prepare themselves for what they know is coming based on the cyclical nature of history. So I'm, I'm, I've been advocating for years through, through IKG that black people study black history and more specifically our relationship with white people so that we can better determine who is for us and who is against us and use our time, our talent and our treasure to ensure that we not only survive what is coming, but we thrive because of specific decisions that we made and specific information that we have passed down to our children mm -hmm. so that they're able to benefit from this knowledge and continue to perpetuate information that will ensure our continued um, success and our continued ability to thrive in the United States of America, which is based on my study, the United States of America is the wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't make it in America, there's something wrong with you, right? Uh, and that's real, despite the racism, despite the prejudice, despite all the obstacles, we have a better chance of making it here in this, in this country than any place in the world. And they, with the knowledge of how this country works and how the world works and our place in the world, we can use that knowledge to not only survive in America, but to thrive in this country and be a benefit to other African people all over the world who look to African-Americans for models of how to live. Mm. You know, folk not only follow our music, they not only follow our, our cultural traditions, they admire us because we've been able to accomplish what no other oppressed people on the planet have been able to accomplish. And once uh, a significant number of, of young African-Americans such as yourself understand what's at stake and shift your thinking to commit yourself to something bigger than your own individual lives, then we will find ourselves in a position 
to adequately direct the future of this country and ultimately the future of this world based on how we've shifted our thinking, how we've shifted our action, and how those actions are now shifting the course of the world. That's what's at stake. That's why people like DeSantos and others don't want this information to be taught in the classrooms because it changes how you see yourself, it changes how you think, it changes how you act, it changes everything. And they are literally fighting for their survival because they know that they 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 know that um, the time of rule is rapidly coming to an end. Yeah, they're holding on to power for as long as they can, and they are they are in their minds justified to do whatever they have to do to hold on to power for as long as they can. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com BIN today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We are here today with author, publisher, historian, artist, and educational consultant, director of the ASA Restoration Project, and founder and director of IKG Cultural Resource Center, cultural memory specialist, Mr. Anthony T. Browder, discussing the original architects of civilization, African history and culture, learning more about his educational organization, as well as his extraordinary body of research collected over three decades and with 65 plus trips to Egypt and other international destinations. That's a, it's a very scary thing to witness. You're absolutely right. And, and I want to add to that because there's a, so so wait, so wait, let me, let me me just, let me just check you on that. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, um, the Christians would teach you is that fear is the absence of God. Mm -hmm. So it's not about being scared. It's not about being afraid. It's about knowing. And that knowledge cancels out fear, Mm -hmm. right? The knowledge empowers you to do the things that you've always had the capacity to do and that you were born to do by virtue of the fact that you have taken a breath on this planet. So my suggestion, brother, is to don't look at it as um, something to be fearful of. Look at it as an opportunity for you to step into the full glory as to why you were born here on this earth in the first place. I'll take that. And that's actually where I wanted to go with, with the, uh, the next um, question. You mentioned something earlier about uh, the word psychology being connected to an African word. Right. And, you know, because I've, I'm familiar with a lot of your talks, I, I realized that there is a lot of connections, African connections in Christianity and indeed a lot of the Abrahamic religions around the world. And I think that making those connections live for people is significant because indeed, uh, you know, how I grew up, um, our reward was always in heaven. We were to turn a blind eye and just endure our suffering suffering because at the end of our life, great would it be our reward, this sort of thinking. And, um, that can be pr- very problematic in my view because it it kind of allows us to kind of accept our reality um and not really move uh, it doesn't really move us to change things in a way that um perhaps a, a different uh religious outcome might right um, our our job is to let go and let God. Our job is to, you know, whatever. And I, I believe if people knew the connections to the African traditions, uh, and I'd, I'd love for you to tell the story of the, the virgin birth and, and any others that, that come to mind. But I know that when I heard those connections, I recognized, wow, okay, there's something deeper here. So please, uh, we can start with the the, the virgin uh, birth um, narrative that made its way to Christianity, but I know that there, there are many others. Okay, well, before I do that, let me just say that you have accurately described the purpose of Christianity here in the Americas. Yeah, yeah. Um, the purpose yeah, of and Christianity. And I'm a Christian too. I, I grew up Christian. I want to make sure I said it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't hate anybody. I'm not, but go ahead, Look, please. I grew up in a Christian environment as well. Okay. Uh, by virtue of the fact that our parents, our grandparents, 
mm-hmm. were Christians. We Absolutely. inherited their, their belief. Mm-hmm. And and so without without going into a long history of that, uh, the purpose of religion, as it has been presented to us here in America by the very same people who stole us, enslaved us, lynched us, raped us, they taught us how to cultivate a relationship with God. Now, if they were true Christians, true followers of the faith, uh, and had not violated one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, we'd be having this conversation under a mango tree somewhere in the West Coast of Africa, Mm -hmm. right? So religion has been used as a tool to subjugate the subjugated. There's no question about that. And to make you believe in the pie in the sky, slaves obey your master was part of the religious doctrine that was given to enslaved people only after white slave owners in the South, specifically in Georgia, became fearful of uh, the the uh, seeds of the Haitian Revolution in 1804 spreading throughout the Americas. They decided then that it was time to introduce African people to slavery. Prior to that, it was illegal for for Africans to be Christians. They didn't believe first. They didn't believe that Africans had a soul. Pope Eugenius the Fourth in the 15th century issued a papal bull, which gave Portuguese and then uh, Spain permission to steal Africans because the Pope said that Africans had no soul. They're not human beings. So we have to understand first and foremost the role that religion has played in the establishment of the slave trade, which lasted for 444 years. As a matter of fact, just recently, the Church of England has issued um, a, a paper apologizing for their role in uh, expanding the slave trade. The British were the most financially successful enslavers on the planet. They made more money than any other European nation selling African flesh. And the Church of England has just recently acknowledged that and said that they're going to pay some form of of reparations. Right. So the reality is um, the religions of the Abrahamic faith, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Were derived from spiritual traditions that originated in the Nile Valley at least 2000 years before Abraham was born. So you asked me to tell the story of the Asarian drama. Once you understand foundational African history, it shifts your understanding of everything else. And either your your mind becomes open and you begin to pursue more of this information or you suffer from uh, cognitive dissonance and the information that you're hearing conflicts with what you have been um, socialized to believe in and you shut down and reject that information because it makes you psychologically, emotionally, and maybe even physically uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So this story that I'm I'm going to share with you is the foundational story of Kemet, ancient Egypt. It is a story that is at least 6,000 years old And just recently, about a decade or so uh, ago, I found out talking with uh, an Ethiopian colleague of mine that this story actually originated in Ethiopia and is more likely 10,000 years old. But the short version of the story is this. 
the civilization that we know of Kemet, i.e. ancient Egypt, was founded by a man by the name of Asar, who united the two lands, established the first government. He introduced agriculture. He introduced writing um, and also established uh, the first theology, the first religion, if you will. Asar married a woman by the name of Aset, and we're talking about two African people, indigenous African people. And if the story of the Ethiopian origins of the story are true, we know that they came from Northeast Africa, which is the region where um, paleoanthropologists have determined the first humans lived, right? So Asar, after he established the nation of Kemet, which is, is the original name for the country we now call Egypt, decided to travel to other areas of Africa and share this knowledge, share this technology with them to bring them into the light uh, and left his wife to run their nation, which means that he, his wife, Aset, was not subservient to him. She was his co-equal co -equal, and she had enough bandwidth, mental bandwidth to carry on the operations of this nation. Now, according to the story, there's multiple versions of the story. Uh, Asar was murdered by his brother, Set. And in one version of the story, Set dismembered Asar, cut his body into 14 pieces and scattered them throughout the land. Aset was forced to flee for her life and she went searching for the missing parts of her husband's body. She found 13 of the 14 parts of Asar's body and she found each body part. She washed it, she anointed it with oils and then literally Aset remembered her husband. She reassembled his body and then wrapped his body in bandages, thus creating the first mummy in recorded history. Mm -hmm. And she then proceeded to bury her husband. It took a set 70 days to find the missing pieces of her husband's body and to prepare his body for burial. So in Kemet, in Egypt, for the next 3,000 years, uh, the process of mummification lasted for 70 days. So that's how important this story, which I, I, I have to share with you and your listeners, this story is a myth. Mm -hmm. It is not true, but it contains truth, mm -hmm. right? It is a myth. So according to this myth, this documented myth, a set as she was about to bury her, her husband grieved because she was still a virgin. She and her husband had never consummated their marriage before he left to go on his journey and was murdered. So the spirit of Asar visited his wife, Aset, and impregnated her. And if you, you said you had gone to Egypt uh, on your 40th birthday. So if you went to, did you go to the temple of Abydos on that trip? Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember the name. I went to the temple where the Sphinx is. I know that. I would know, but that's that's in uh, that's in Giza. Uh, okay. Abydos is, is south, about uh, two hundred miles south. Is that by Luxor? Uh, that's before you get to Luxor. Okay, All right. no, so, I, I didn't. Know. Uh, Abydos is is where the oldest existing temple in Egypt still is. It was a temple that was started by Seti the first, uh, the father of Ramesses the second, the father of the man that you were named after. Mm. It's one of the most remarkable temples. Uh, in Egypt, it was built around uh, 13, say 1350 BCE. Mm -hmm. And in that temple, 
is an image of a set being impregnated by her deceased husband. So this story, this myth, becomes the first story in recorded history of what Christians refer to as an immaculate conception. And then nine months later, the virgin Aset gave birth to her son, Heru. Heru was born of a virgin. Heru was born on the same birth date as his father, Asar, December the 25th. Heru was born to avenge the murder of his father, and his responsibility was to reclaim his father's throne. Mm. Ultimately, if you went to, on that trip to Egypt, if you went to the temple of Edfu, then that is a temple uh, on the way to Aswan that is dedicated to Heru, the son of Asar and Aset. And in that temple, you will see carved on the walls images that depict the story of Heru as an adult battling his uncle Set, the man who murdered his father, and defeating Set, and then becoming the legitimate heir to the throne of his father. And as part of that story, as part of that narrative, when Heru ascended to the throne and became the king of Kemet, his father Asar was resurrected from the dead and took his place in the ancestor realm on the throne of judgment. So Asar then became uh, the person who judged the souls of all the dead, all the deceased people who came before him on judgment day. Now, these elements, essential elements of this myth, this African myth, which is at least 2,000 years older than Genesis in the Torah, serve as the foundation for Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And this story of these faiths were derived from an African myth, which has had the African essence stripped away from it and has been reinterpreted first by people who classified themselves as Hebrews, and then later reinterpreted again by people who classify themselves as Christians, and then later still reinterpreted by people who classify themselves as Muslims. Mm -hmm. So what, what I know, based on my study of history, is that through an accurate interpretation of historical events, you can find the African seed, the African DNA, in many aspects of lives or traditions, cultural traditions that have been uh, uh, attributed to other people. And that's one of the reasons why this information is suppressed. Because if you find out that the story of Jesus Christ is a reinterpretation of the story of an African family, then that will cause you to look at religion differently and ask yourself, what else has been co-opted from African stories that we've never been taught. And if Europeans were responsible for teaching you the story of Christianity, you have to ask yourself what other information, African information, have they not told you that if you were aware of and applied in your life could radically alter your trajectory through life here in the United States of America. 
So people are controlled, as I said, people are controlled not so much by what they know, but, but, but why they don't know, which is why, you know, for me, um, acquisition of this information and dissemination of this information is so critical to me because I understand its ability to dramatically alter the thinking of millions of people throughout the world and ultimately change the trajectory of the world. That's what's at stake. This concludes part three of our four-part conversation with author, publisher, historian, artist, and educational consultant, director of the ASA Restoration Project and founder and director of IKG Cultural Resource Center, cultural memory specialist, Mr. Anthony T. Browder. Check back in with us tomorrow for part two with your host, Ramses Ja, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.